This is Better Benefits, a podcast from the team at Brella Insurance. We're talking about how to use employee benefits to build a world where health hardships don't create financial burdens. If you're a broker or employer looking for fresh ideas and new products employees will actually use, this show's for you. Hello, hello. I'm Laura Cave, head of marketing here at Brella, and I'm here with my chief revenue officer, Mike Zarillo, for Better Benefits, episode number 28. Today, we're excited to have Donald DeSantis with us. Donald is co-founder and chief product officer of Nava, which is a modern benefits brokerage on a mission to bring high-quality, affordable healthcare to employers and their employees. Now, Mike, what I think is really fascinating about Nava is that they've taken inspiration from the way that large corporations build their benefits programs, and they're making it accessible to small and medium-sized businesses who traditionally wouldn't be able to offer or afford to do what jumbo corporations are able to do to keep control of their health benefit costs. And I was wondering before we jump into this conversation, if you might give us a little bit of context on this dynamic in the benefits space. Do large employers really have an advantage when it comes to accessibility and cost of health benefits? How does that work? Yeah. Hey, Laura, great to be hosting another episode with you. And uh, your question is is really a good one. You know, I don't think there's any doubt today that larger employers have more negotiating power when it comes to their benefits, whether that's, you know, in managing their prices and costs, but also in their ability to access products and services and other solutions that help them deliver on their overall health benefit strategies. And, and I think, you know, that comes down to, you know, potentially bigger budgets to leverage consulting expertise from, from top-notch advisors or budgets to license tools and software to help them stretch every benefit dollar. Larger employers absolutely have access to more. And, and I think that ensures higher probabilities of success for them when they're designing and, and finding ways to meet their benefit objectives. So I think this is one of the many reasons that many smaller organizations are, are banding together to gain access to benefits and costs that you know maybe traditionally have been reserved for their, their much larger counterparts. And you know, today technology makes that easier. And, and I'm really interested and excited to hear what Nava is up to and learn more from Donald as he sort of walks us through their approach. Because you know, the fact is 98% of businesses in the US today have less than 100 employees. So I think this is a, a pretty big need. Yeah, that's massive. That's incredible. So, okay, let's go ahead and introduce Donald and let him tell us all about it. As I mentioned, Donald is the chief product officer and co-founder of Nava, a modern benefits brokerage on a mission to improve the quality and affordability of healthcare in America. His last startup, VTS, is the leasing and marketing platform for the majority of office buildings in the United States and is transforming how the commercial real estate industry operates. When he's not building companies or writing articles, you'll find him skiing, surfing, or cycling. But today he's here with us. Donald, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I wondered first off if you could just tell us a little bit about how you got into the benefits business and and why you're so passionate about it. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's there's kind of a macro story and then there's kind of like a more kind of micro or personal story. I mean, the macro story is one that I think most folks are familiar with in broad strokes. We, we do have a healthcare affordability crisis in the United States. One in five Americans has medical debt in collections today. It's the it's the all-time 
undefeated reigning champ when it comes to the cause of bankruptcy for Americans. And that problem is, is, you know, really sort of only getting worse, not better. And, you know, for me, you know, I've got a personal story here too, where I had a, a healthcare crisis in, in 2013, I was trying to start my last startup and I was able to get the treatment that I needed, but ended up with, you know, five figure bills, you know, from hospitals that I didn't understand. I was completely outmatched and outgunned. And knowing knowing what I know now, I, I would have probably paid a fraction of that, but I ended up paying sort of everything off. And it, it was fortunate that I was able to do that. But, you know, most folks certainly wouldn't wouldn't be able to do so so easily. So, you know, benefits specifically in, I'd say probably mid-2019, my co-founder, Brandon, was looking at the healthcare space. And, you know, we were just trying to get a better understanding of, you know, how, you know, two technology entrepreneurs could have a positive impact on healthcare in America. And so we went on a listening tour with hospital executives, folks from the, uh, the large insurance carriers, frontline physicians, and folks in the insurance industry. What we realized, or the conclusion that we sort of came to, was that there was no shortage of innovation in healthcare and insurance today. Mm-hmm. The real problem is not one of innovation, but it's it's kind of like go-to-market. And the go-to-market channel for the vast majority of innovation in the United States is the benefits consulting industry. And you know, I, I think... You know, I know there are some consultants that listen to this show. I, I think a lot of them would probably, you know, agree if they were here. You know, the benefits consulting industry hasn't done a great job of bringing new innovation to market, and when they do, the results are amazing. You know, employers and employees just get a whole lot more for their money than they were before. But unfortunately, that ends up being the exception rather than the rule. So we took a step back and said, you know, rather than building another, you know, sort of point solution or digital health company, the biggest impact that we could probably have on this space was to say, let's build a better benefits brokerage, you know, one that is sort of, you know, economically aligned with the interests of the employers and employees and sort of has the, you know, the DNA of a technology company and knows how to build and deploy enterprise software solutions at scale, which is frankly you know, what a lot of these products are when it comes down to it, whether it's a, you know, mental health point solution or navigation, you know, frankly, even, even changing a network, you are out there, you know, educating employees every single day, getting them to adopt new tools, and new technologies, supporting them when they have questions. It's the same thing that you'd be doing if you were doing a Salesforce implementation. So mm-hmm. we're like, we really think that we can, you know, bring the most leverage there. And so that, that led us to starting what's now Nava. That's great. Really appreciate that background. And and again, I Laura, we've talked about this on so many of our shows. We we kind of hear founders and other leaders who have started companies or have shifted businesses because of this passion on trying to fix something that's been broken for a long time. And and love that that trend continues here with with Donald and what they're doing at, at Nava. So on that note, Donald, you know, employers have had to make some really tough choices in recent years to cope with rising costs of health insurance. Curious if we dig a little deeper into what Nava is doing, how are you helping them bring more value back into their health benefit programs? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I think this is a real, <laughs> you know, this is a real kind of bugaboo with myself and Brandon, which is kind of what we call like, you know, this impossible choice at HR leader space, which is, look, we've got, we just got the the 10 or 15 or sometimes 20% renewal from the insurance carrier. And we just have to go, you know, what do we do? Do we take a hit as the company, which most companies just don't have the ability to do that? Or do we, you know, shift the cost to our employees, knowing that their employees aren't going to be able to afford that. And they might end up just functionally uninsured and paying, you know, thousands of dollars every single month for 
for insurance premiums with a deductible that they're probably never going to hit. And, and so we sort of call that the impossible choice. We actually sort of assessment of the space, or our point of view is that there's third wave. And, you know, while small and medium-sized businesses have been getting, you know, 10 to 15% increases on average over the past you know decade or so, the largest companies in America are basically flat, you know, plus or minus 2% trend on average. And so the initial thinking is like, oh, well, it's just because they're big and they've got so much more negotiating power and, and everything else. But that's actually not the case. And I think the best way when it's like, well, what are they doing differently then if it's not just a function of them being large and maybe having more, more sort of leverage over the insurance carriers? You know, the largest companies in America are basically they're buying less health insurance and they're buying more health care. And so every single large corporation in the United States is self-insured. A lot of them have sort of they've carved out their pharmacy benefit and they've you know chosen a, a you know a transparent pharmacy benefit manager and they are in many cases directly contracting with local health care providers in their area and getting you know the exact same procedures and level of care from the exact same positions for less than the you know in network negotiated rates and so as a result you know this this whole question of you know what do we do we're sort of between a rock and a hard place like do we take the hit do we shift it to our employees is actually sort of a path path forward. You know, the, the big problem that Nava has been working is now how do we take that playbook and bring that down market to the SMB? How do you do that? Yes. <laughs> so curious. You know, Wait a minute. You can't just funny. leave it there. Well, I, can, well I, I can tell you, I, I can tell you how not to do it. Okay. And so okay. how, how not to do it, how not to do it is walk into, you know, a 100 person company or 100 life group to kind of use the, you know, the industry speak, you know, to walk into a 100 life group and say, Hey everyone, you guys should go. You guys should go self-insured, and you guys should be managing your, you know, actively managing your 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 pharmacy benefit more closely. And you know, there's a local hospital network here, and you should be negotiating contracts with them. Let us go down the street, and we're gonna. They will look at you like you are a, a Martian, and they will politely but quickly usher you right out the door. And you know, I think that there are, there are a lot of consultants out there, and like God bless them, like they've sort of been doing that with some success. And, and I say, God bless them because when it works and when they're willing to, and when they find a group that's willing to do all of those things, they really do create value for those employers, these small businesses in America and their employees. They are putting money back in the pockets of these employees and just working families. The problem is, is like what we just described there, that is like not a mass market product. (laughs) And so for us, you know, I think, you know, Nava is as a company now is about a year and a half old and so for us, it's been an exploration of sort of, we, we, we kind of, we know what good looks like here and, and we sort of, you know, we know the recipe for success for us. It's been an exploration of like, where is the market at today? Right. Because kind of here's where the market's at today. And usually, you know, the market is only, you know, even as a technologist or futurist or entrepreneur, you know, you're very sort of like future oriented in your thinking and you can sort of see this better, brighter future, but you have to sort of stay within one or two concentric circles from where the market's at today. Mm-hmm. So we've been going, where is everyone at today? And where do we need to go to meet the market where it's at and slowly start to, you know, lead the horse to water. I don't know if that's the best metaphor here, but, you know, slowly start to kind of lead the horse to water. And it just turns out there is a ton of low hanging fruit when you start to kind of reframe things in in this way. So one of the big things, for instance, and this is like, 
this is going to sound, you know, this is almost going to get some eye rolls, maybe from folks who are in the industry listening to this, but it is, it's so impactful and nobody's doing it, which is very few people are doing it, which is just using some, you know, deploying tools inside of an organization to help employees make better decisions when it comes to choosing the right plan. Employees Mm -hmm. are flying completely blind when it comes to open enrollment, going, which plan should I choose? Right. Yeah. What most people do is they're like, okay, there's kind of three medium plans here. You know, there's like a, there's a mild, medium and spicy and, you know, spicy is sort of really expensive. And, you know, mild is, is, um, I might be sort of, you know, that's not for me. So I'm going to just sort of choose the one in the middle. And even their HR leader at their company oftentimes doesn't even have the enough information to kind of give them proper guidance or norm, frankly, should it be their responsibility or their place Mm -hmm. to. And so, so, you know, we have been, we've been deploying tools inside of, of groups that or take a look at just like the kind of just raw demographics of just on an individual by individual basis. So people go through and they do this little questionnaire. It's almost like TurboTax. How old are you? Are you dealing with any medical, ongoing mm-hmm. medical conditions? Do you have kids? Da, 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 da. Are you caring for dependents? And it says, okay, given the plans that your company is offering, this is the economically optimal plan for you based on, you know, sort of actuarial model behind mm-hmm. it. And this creates real cost savings, both for the employer and the employee. Which is so in in 2016, Carnegie Mellon did a study where they I think it was about 10 or or 20,000 sort of individuals were in the study, and they took a look at the plan that people chose, and then they tracked all of the claims for the next year, and then sort of did an assessment of like, did they choose like who won? Did the house win or did like the employee win? Right, the house Mm -hmm. casino here being the insurance company basically, and 61% of employees chose the wrong plan. The mm-hmm. objectively, economically non-optimal plan. Mm-hmm. And that resulted in overspending, the average overspending amount of 42%, which is kind of crazy. So you can imagine, you know, like a, a couple who's maybe paying a thousand dollars a month for for their insurance plan, you know, that's their four hundred dollars, let's just sort of say, or four hundred and twenty dollars are money that they wouldn't have had to spend. You know, four I'm not very good at math, four twenty times twelve months out of the year. I think that's knocking at the door of five thousand dollars that should have gone into their pocket for gas, money, groceries, or paying off the credit card bill. To say nothing of the impact too that this has on the employer, which is likely fully insured and the employer is cost sharing somewhere between 50 to 80% the premiums for that plan. So they are also overspending by 42% as well. So again, we sort of know where we know kind of like where we want to take the market, but mm-hmm. sort of meeting the mar- market where it's at right now, it's sort of going, okay, cool. Well, you don't want to go self-insured. You don't want to go out to the market and sort of, you know, shop around for a new plan. You're not sure that your employees are sort of ready for healthcare navigation. You don't want to do level funded. Gap funding sounds complicated, but how about this? How about we at least direct your employees to what's effectively like a really, you know, a spreadsheet with like a really good user interface on top of it that tells them what the best plan is to save them money and save you money. Are you ready to do that? And the answer nine times out of 10 is yes. And so again, yeah. So again, it's like now we're doing a lot more than that, but just to sort of show kind of both ends of the spectrum here, Mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of where we start. And then again, over time, it's just sort of doing this playbook of continually sort of going, how do we buy less insurance you know, just and buy less insurance. I know Brella sells insurance, and so Brella is actually I'm going to carve out because I, I think there's a different framing for that. But when it comes to your core medical plan from one of the large bukas, how do we buy less insurance and how do we buy more healthcare directly? Mm-hmm. That is a great sort of starting point right there. Yeah, interesting. So when you think about, you know, you've been spending a lot of time talking to employers and probably other benefit advisors as well. I know that there's a ton of innovation happening in this space, like you said. 
And it must be really challenging for them to figure out how not only what is happening, but also how might it fit into the specific calculus that's going on with their particular group. And so I'm just wondering if you have any advice for employers or brokers who are thinking about, you know, I, I like this idea of low-hanging fruit. I want to take our program forward. You know, how do I stay up to speed on and put myself in the path of, of embracing some of the innovation in the space? Yeah, totally. So great question. I think I'm going to, I think the answer is kind of different for the employer and like the mm. broker consultant. So I'll, I'll address those sort of separately. I think for, for the employer, you know, just kind of the state of where the industry is at right now is one where you have, the answer is your broker. You have a strong dependency and reliance on your broker to be able to provide this information to you in terms of who are the, like what benefits should we be offering? Who are the vendors that are out there that we should be even contemplating? And then of course, what's the economic impact to us and, and our bottom line for, for rolling these things out? It's sort of like, and I, and I say it's the broker's responsibility because, you know, imagine, um, you know, before there are websites like Redfin and Zillow, if you wanted to know what houses were for sale, you know, that was like your, your broker, your, your real estate broker, you know, had a binder and it was before the, before that was stuff was even online that a binder and only they had access to the binder. Eventually the binder became a database, but even then only the real estate agents were allowed to see it. So it was your broker's responsibility to show you all of the houses that were for sale in the market and then maybe start to tailor it and sort of say, okay, cool. We can only look at so many houses this weekend, but it's not the house seeker's responsibility. They don't even have access to this information. Right. Mm -hmm. So as an employer, you should be leaning hard on your broker to be proactively bringing you the best in class tools and then quickly helping you in an educated and informed way, narrow that list down to what you should be considering doing. Mm -hmm. Now, so as a broker, well, how do brokers step on this? Because it's true, there are a ton of things out there today. And I, I think there's the truth is, is like there's not a great answer for brokers today. I, you know, I think there are probably you know podcasts and media like this one, and so you know, filling up your your podcast queue with all sorts of digital health and insure tech topics is a great place to start. Certainly, you know, you could also. I think another thing is is I don't know how many broker consultants out there are very active on Twitter, but if you are on Twitter, you know, following, you know, a lot of the kind of digital health news publications out there, there, there are a lot of folks who are really like their full-time job almost is sort of keeping tabs on what's going on in the space. Following them is a great way to sort of, you know, keep tabs on what's going on here. And then I think too, you know, going back to, you know, your office that you work in today and the firm that you're at today and sort of letting them know that, look, this is a, this is a priority or this should be a priority strategically for mm -hmm. our firm to mm -hmm. kind of be a thought leader here and putting pressure on them to kind of resource some initiatives, maybe it's just a person, an analyst who is keeping track of all this stuff and keeping, mm -hmm. you know, kind of keeping the, the consultants in the firm uh, up to speed on things. Maybe it's something else. I'm not sure. But I would also say as a broker too, you know, sort of, you know, communicate upward in your organization that this is a priority and it's strategic and it's going to be critical for the firm to kind of grow and, you know, grow their business and, and keep the groups that they have. Yeah, I really appreciate that, that insight and, and advice. You know, I, many days I say, I'm not sure I envy the role of the broker consultant advisor these days because there is so much to have your arms around, you know, in order to really be the the guide that employers need to, you know, effectively manage their benefits and and you know succeed in their health benefit strategies. It's certainly a challenging time and requires a, a real commitment to think differently. I'm curious, 
you know, if you think about some of the lessons maybe that that you've learned or that you're, you're sort of willing to share, you know, for others on on how to operate more effectively, would love to get your thoughts on that, Donald. Yeah, in, in the brokerage space for, yeah. for broker consultants. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, look, this is kind of a funny one to be answering because I've I've been in the brokerage space for all of about two years now, so I, I don't know that it's you know totally appropriate for me to be telling folks who've been doing this for ten or twenty years how to do things, but I do have a Again, I, I do have the benefit of being an outsider a little bit, and so I'll you know, I can maybe offer some kind of insights or takeaways I have as a as someone new to brokerage, but with the benefit of of sort of being outside of the space. You know, a couple things. The first is the most effective broker consultants out there today are the ones who understand that benefits is a team sport, and you know, lone wolves are are maybe are maybe going to make it, but it's a tough go, and I think it's going to get tougher just as we sort of look at some of the trends going on in our industry today. And so, you know, to the extent, you know, to the extent that you have a team around you today, looking at how you can sort of like grow that team, grow the support in a team, leveling up the skills of the people on your team today with additional training or certifications. And if you don't feel like you have a strong team today, or if you're not part of a team today, then starting to look at like, how might you begin to change that? Because that's where as a broker consultant, you're going to be able to get leverage, get to better outcomes for your clients and your groups. And, you know, and ultimately get bandwidth back to, you know, focus on the top of your own funnel and grow your book of business. This one is maybe kind of a little controversial, but, you know, another observation that I have, or maybe more question that I have is whether these, you know, the the large houses that are out there today, whether they're really going to be the best places for brokers over the next sort of five to 10 years. I think, you know, what I've been hearing from brokers as, you know, talk to a lot of folks is... Sometimes when you're working at a larger firm, you you have to use their own in-house tools. And so you kind of have to use the company, the company paper, basically, the company paper and the company technology, which sometimes is a real asset, but but not always. And when it's a liability, like it's just like, oh man, I cannot believe that we have, we're forced to use kind of X, whatever X happens to be. The second sort of trend that we're seeing here is just, you know, increasing compression on splits and some of the economics for brokers and some of these like mid-market and and larger firms. And so just as a broker, if I was kind of out there on my own, thinking about where's the best place for me to sort of like grow my business, maybe looking at sort of, you know, just more, more regional firms or or firms that are, you know, it's, a, it's sort of self-serving, say, you know, newer firms. But um, <laughs> but at, at least at least if you haven't taken a look in the last several years at sort of like what your options are in terms of where you can kind of park and then grow your business, it's probably worth doing because it might not be kind of where you're at today. And then kind of the last part about this is, you know, Mark Andreessen is a you know, kind of big technology investor and, and entrepreneur. He had this quote from about a decade ago now, which is sort of crazy, which is that, you know, software is eating the world and software is eating the world slowly, but it is coming for, it is coming for brokerage in the benefit space. And so, you know, even if it feels like things are moving fast right now, and there's a lot of technology in benefits, I would say buckle up because the next five to 10 years is things are only going to accelerate. And so what I would encourage brokers to do in terms of being able to operate more effectively is you know, really sort of getting on the forefront of this. And this is a little bit different than kind of the, you know, the vendors in the space that we were talking about before. This is being really sort of clued into like what tools and technology can I use to effectively give myself a superpower and give myself leverage that I don't have today to help my team be more effective in terms of just how we're 
coordinating with one another and serving our book of business. Because if you don't, your competitors out there certainly will. Just other brokers down the street, mm-hmm. not even forget Nava for a second. And they are going to, they're going to come feel your groups. So, you know, it just in terms of other just thoughts and observations, you know, as as kind of a someone newer to the space, that one feels very obvious to me. And I feel like it might not feel as obvious to somebody if they've been in the business for 10 or 20 years. So I would I would just definitely encourage folks to sort of think about that. Yeah, I think those insights are are important, even if it has been only a couple of years. I, I think sometimes that outsider view and perspective is is really critical. I know that we talk about that a lot here at Brella, you know, being relatively new on the block, doing something drastically different, you know, and having a an opinion and a thesis on that, you know, gets people thinking differently. And I, I appreciate that. And the other thing I'll say too, you know, having grown up in the the life and disability world on the carrier side. You know your your comments around software, you know, and and its impact on on certainly the broker side of it. I see it every day, right? You know, we're not necessarily having the discussions like we did back in the day around contractual definitions and provisions and how those work. The discussions are, you know, can your product sit on a benefits administration platform, or how does, you know, how quickly can you stand up a group from an implementation perspective, and what does your portal look like so that members or employers can can access and use your service. It, it has completely changed. And to your point, we'll, we'll continue to do so. So on that note, Donald, curious, what, what's next for Nava? What's on the roadmap? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of exciting stuff. I think, you know, one, we're going to kind of continue to grow our footprint. So this is, you know, we're going to be bringing on more brokers to, to the Nava team and bring on more great sort of client managers and analysts as well. We're going to be expanding into more markets. You know, today Nava's in, I think, 48 or 49 states, but we're kind of most actively focused on what I'd sort of say is Northeast Mid-Atlantic. So, you know, let's sort of say Boston to DC and in California. That said, we sort of do have clients all over the country. I think we're going to be expanding our footprint in other sort of regional markets. The the other thing that's kind of really, you know, really important to us is just continuing to kind of partner with great digital health and insure tech companies, companies like Brella. And the reason that this is important for us, and this is sort of circling back to a point that I was making earlier, you know, saying, you know, buy less health insurance, buy more health care. Really sort of what I'm getting there for the kind of really geeky folks here is, you know, buy less health insurance. It's getting away from paying that 15% medical loss ratio, which I just characterize as a market, basically. I mean, all the insurance companies are doing are say, here's the actuarial risk of the group. Here's what we expect to play in claims, add 15%. There we go. Those are the premiums. And so like we need to get, we need to get groups sort of paying, you know, buying less insurance. So less and less of that money is going to this 15% markup. And so then as a result, you then start to fill things in with, you know, that might mean folks, unless they're willing to go self-insured, it might mean more employees going on to higher deductible plans, which is which I actually think is better for the employee and better for the company, provided that you have solutions in place to sort of fill the gap. And so this could look something like a you know a one medical subscription or you know Tom Lee's new company Galileo, I think is very, very interesting. We've got specialists, mm-hmm. primary care, team-based medicine, mm-hmm. all you can eat. It's like I don't know, I forget the price. I'm not gonna misquote it right now, but it's very affordable and it's something that an employer could pay for today. So now their employees have primary care physicians and specialists cheaper than what they'd be getting on even a lower deductible plan. And then, you know, when there's something that comes up where they just like, God, they, we, you know, I got, um, you know, I broke my leg or something like that. And I've got that visit and they're looking at that $4,000 deductible, having supplemental insurance products, which are much less expensive than what they would pay for that same level of coverage 
through a buka, and this is not to bash the bukas, they're doing a lot of great things. But I'm just, if we just look at the numbers and we spreadsheet this, supplemental insurance products like, you know, Brella and some of the other companies playing in the space are a much better way to fund that care and to fund that gap. And so, again, I think for us, it's again, doing a lot more partnerships and just being, frankly, just a better go to market partner for mm-hmm. all of the folks in the space here. That's number two. I think three, I'm very proud just personally of what our, our team has been doing in terms of you know thought leadership. We've got a great advisory board at Nava, HR and healthcare experts from you know some of the you know largest companies in America and you know esteemed institutions like Johns Hopkins. And so I'm really, really excited about 2022 and the content that's going to be coming out there. Uh, I think it's just be you know really exciting for folks in the consulting space as well as for employers. And then the last one, which, you know, kind of given my role as, you know, chief product officer is, you know, bringing more of our own proprietary tools to market. And this is, you know, sort of like internal stuff folks, you know, might not necessarily see it's things powering what we do behind the scenes, but also things that are a little bit more market facing, which is, which is always fun and exciting. That's awesome. There's a lot in there. Yes, <laughs> I'll I resist. Know. I'll resist the urge to comment on all of it. But yeah. um, no, I really appreciate that. I mean, it sounds uh, really exciting the way that you guys are sort of tunneling into this problem from different directions. Well, uh, before we let you go, there's one question that we always finish our interviews with, and that is to ask you if there is a book or a resource or something that had a profound impact on you in terms of your own professional or personal growth and what that might be that you might recommend to our listeners. Yeah. Well, this was a, a, a tough one to answer because there uh, there have been so many great books that have impacted my sort of career in the technology space. So I thought about this and I, I wanted to actually scope it down to you know what's been really impactful for me as I've thought about healthcare and this most recent sort of chapter of my career. And that made it much easier to answer because it, it became pretty clear. There were, there were just like a handful of things I'd sort of recommend. The first I would just sort of say is a book called The Price We Pay. This is by one of our advisors, Dr. Marty Macri with, with Johns Hopkins. And this is an overview and, and kind of assessment of the American healthcare system, you know, and seeing the stories, you know, seeing how the sausage gets made a little bit and some of the, the stories that are truly, truly heartbreaking. But, you know, I think also, you know, some, some opportunities for hope and, and how, you know, we can kind of get to work on, on fixing these problems. I think the second here, I think this is very relevant to, you know, people running businesses, whether finance ops or HR, but also to broker consultants if they haven't picked it up, which is the CEO's guide to restoring the American dream, which is written by Dave Chase. He started oh, yeah. a, um, an organization. We had him on the called, show. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. Dave. So we, we, we love Dave and what he's doing with the health Rosetta and the whole organization. Mm-hmm. I think it's super, super cool. Anyway, so here's, here's, here's something funny. So every new hire at Nava, we have a reading list for them. And this is on the reading list. And it's one of the first books that I tell new hires to read because it's so effective at getting folks up to speed quickly. I mean, the book is maybe a hundred, I forget, but it, I remember I was on a, I was on a ski trip and I read it in a weekend and I was like, that's perfect. And I, yeah. and so kind of the, the information density is like very, very high. And so that's another one that I'd recommend. And then there's opposite end of the spectrum. We're talking like meaty, meaty books here is um, The Innovator's Dilemma, a classic business book by Clay Christensen. And I think that's, it's it's very, you know, if you work in the industry today and you're, and you want kind of a good mental model for how disruption might occur in healthcare, you know, disruption for good might occur in, in healthcare. This will, and you haven't read this book, I, I highly recommend it. 
this can provide like a great sort of like mental model for thinking about that. If you have read The Innovator's Dilemma, then I actually recommend The Innovator's Prescription, which I didn't even know that Christensen had written a book specifically on the healthcare space. And I started reading it and I was like, oh my God, this is, he's, he's nailed, he's right about all of these things, his assessments here. And I was, I, I thought he had, I was like, he must've written this, like, you know, he recently passed away. But I was like, he must've, must've been the last book he wrote before he passed away. And I, you know, and I checked the copyright and it was something like 2005 or something like that. I mean, this book is almost 20 years old, wow. um, but he had completely just nailed it across the board. And so that book is like a thousand pages and it is oh, so wow. hard to read. Yeah. But it is, uh, but if you are a true healthcare nerd, I, you could do a lot worse than picking up the innovator's prescription. Okay. Okay. I love it. I'm going to put all of those links in the show notes. Really Great. appreciate getting nosy about everybody's bookshelf on that show. This is one of my favorite parts. Donald, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your insights with us. Really excited to hear everything that you guys are up to and all the different ways that you are pushing for change and and sort of you know walking us along as we take these steps towards that bigger vision of you know health benefits programs that that just work better and cost less. So thanks for being on the show. You bet. It was a lot of fun. So Mike, so much to think about here. I'm wondering what are a couple of takeaways that are sticking out for you? Yeah, what a great discussion. You know, I'll start with I know Donald said, you know, maybe his thoughts or advice you know, m- might be coming from a unique spot, having only been in the, the business for a couple of years on, on the brokerage side. But I, I actually, one of the things that struck me throughout the conversation was how grounded he is and, and Nava is on their point of view, right? And to have a point of view and be committed to it and to drive the business and, and their, their focus, you know, forward with that point of view, I think is just Good advice and reminders for all of us. You know, sometimes that outsider's perspective is what we need. And, you know, we've, we've heard it from many, many, many guests that, you know, the challenge isn't getting any easier. We have to find different ways to try to solve for it. And, and I think having that view from the outside uh, looking in is, is not a bad, not a bad spot to be to, to make an impact. I think the other item for me was towards the end, you know, Donald mentioned, you know, the, the quote around software is eating the world. And, you know, we, we all know it. We know technology is making an impact. And I really was, it was really eye-opening for me to think about just how Nava sort of looked at the delivery of, you know, benefit services and consultation and sort of started their company from that perspective, right? Versus a specific product or a specific service, but more so, you know, who's driving the discussions with employers who are making some tough decisions. And and I think to now leverage that with some some technology in a way that makes that easier, more efficient, more effective is really good, uh, good insights. How about for you? You know, what sticks out for me is one of the first things that Donald said, he used this phrase, the impossible choice. And it's so true because so often we think we only have two levers in, in health insurance. It's the premium and the deductible. Would you like to pay a lot every month or would you like to pay a lot when you get sick? And there just has to be a third way. So I think if you're an employer or a broker, and you're in that situation, I I just want to urge you to look for the third way. That is there a way for the cost to be lower? Is there a way to put more cash in an employee's pocket? It's not as expensive as you might think. I mean, our umbrella plans start at the price of Netflix, truly. Cancel a streaming subscription and get some supplemental coverage so you can have cash in your pocket if you get hurt. I mean, this is more accessible than people realize. And so I just really appreciated that we're starting to challenge this idea 
that this isn't the impossible two options, that there's that there's more out there that we can start to embrace, even if it starts with first steps towards better health benefits literacy, towards some of this low-hanging fruit that we can start to knock out on our way to a bigger vision of, of a health benefits program that has a lower cost basis overall. I think that's that's really interesting. And, and then lastly, I really appreciated what he said about how benefits is a team sport. This is one of the reasons why we started this podcast, because we realized we're not the only people out there who care about making sure that health hardships don't create financial hardships. That involves everybody from the health insurance carriers to the brokers, the employers making these decisions, you know, the employees themselves who are, who are choosing what they're going to enroll in. We have to do this together. And that's why we have to have these kinds of conversations. So yeah, a really great conversation. Again, really admire what Nava is up to. If you'd like to connect with Donald or the team at Nava, you can visit their website at nava.io. I'm going to link to that as well as to the books that Donald mentioned in our show notes, which you can find at joinbrella.com slash podcasts. If you want to get in touch with Mike or learn more about Brella, you can contact him through our website at joinbrella.com. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to the Better Benefits newsletter. And as always, thank you for listening. Visit joinbrella.com slash podcast for notes from today's show. And if you liked the episode, share it with a colleague. This helps us spread the word. Be sure to subscribe or follow in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss our next episode. And that's a wrap. This is Laura Cave and Mike Zarillo from the Better Benefits Podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.